In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here with my co-host, Jack. Jack, how are you, mate? I'm good. I've calmed down a little bit since uh, I refused to come on the show uh, early hours of Monday morning because I wanted to kill Hugh Jackson. But uh, yeah, we're a bit better now, so uh, full steam ahead. Were you um, were you banned though, mate? I think I gave you a yellow card because you were saying Hugh Jackson, see you next Tuesday, and I was not accepting it because this is a pro Hugh Jackson <laughs> show. I was just dropping truth bombs, mate. It happens, but uh, we've got a fantastic guest uh, dragging me back into the studio, so it's all good. Oh, mate, and this is a guest that you've been wanting on for a while. Yeah, it's been one. It's been on the cards, and uh, it's finally here. Well, we've got a uh, NFL analyst, Brent Sobolaski. Did I say that correct, Brent? Like I said, just call me Sobo, and everyone knows who you're talking about. So you're more right, than welcome. Sobo. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. I love doing stuff like this, and it always helps when we're discussing the Browns because I know it's a passionate fan base. It's wonderful to see you guys overseas that have the love for this team, despite everything that they've gone through since the rebirth. It's it's amazing as we discuss off the air the the community that's been built through social media and the internet over the last fifteen years, and it, it's just an absolute pleasure to be joining you guys today. Well, thank you very much. So tell us. Why are you a Browns fan? <laughs> Born and raised. Uh, maybe that's unfortunate on my part. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a transitory part of my life and a very big part of my life. Because when you, started, when you start into the journalism field, one thing I have always stated is we do this because we fell in love with something. We fell in love with a team or an individual or a moment that you just can't get rid of. And for me growing up, as a child of the 80s, the 80s Cleveland Browns was that team I couldn't quit and with Bernie and Metcalf. And you're supposed to say up the middle, but that's okay. And, and Kevin Mack, I was a huge Kevin Mack fan. I loved watching, watching him play, going into Leroy Horde and, and guys, uh, uh, and you can go on and on. And arguably for me, my favorite football player of all time is Felix Wright dumping Don Beebe on his head. Um, so I, it grew from that love of a team to getting the opportunity when I was in college to write on the side, to join the Orange and Brown Report, thanks to Editor-in-Chief Barry McBride, um, allowing me to cover this team off and on in some form or fashion for 15 years now. Um, and it, it's, it's hard to get to a point where you can separate yourself from being that fan and to a rational analyst. You know, there's still times where when I'm watching football games, I get pumped, man. I I told my wife and I've told my editor straight to his face, if I don't get excited about this stuff anymore, fire me. Because what's the point of covering sports if you can't enjoy it, if you can't really truly be that fan, even though detached, and, and, and relay what you're seeing to other fans. So... It does get contentious, uh, especially with social media when you're on Twitter and there's a lot of things and there's a lot of love for the teams that can be 
misconstrued along the way, but it all originated with that being me being a fan originally. Oh, excellent. And uh, yeah, being an NFL analyst, uh, what's the best ever Brown story that you broke? There's got to be something good out there. Well, my favorite, and now a lot of this stuff is done remotely now. It's just the nature of the beast and how you're trying to, trying to stay ahead of the, the news cycle. Um, one of the things I've done on the side for years, and I'm so known, I, I, I believe, I'm not trying to be um, egotistical by any means, for covering the Browns because I've done it for so long. But I've also covered the NFL draft for just as long. And uh, I've gone to the Senior Bowl and the, the Combine numerous times over the years, and there's so much information that you get from that, from the, just those two events. It's utter, it's amazing because they're essentially the two biggest, the two biggest gatherings of the NFL every year. Uh, it's not simply you're going there to to evaluate talent. You're also going to potentially hire personnel. You're going there. Um, just to meet other guys around the league or to discuss trades or so on and so forth. All so much happens in just a small matter of days. And for me, one of the things is when you start to establish connections, which is very difficult. And I, I want to stress that, that people don't realize how, what guys like Adam Schefter and Jay Glazer and the national pundits that you see at break news consistently, they've done an amazing job building a network that trusts them and allows them to break news on a consistent basis. So for me, one of the true joys I had was sitting down with a contact while the negotiations with Sashi Brown and Alex Mack were ongoing. Yep. And I was actually part of the conversation of what the free agent center should be actually considering and what would be the best route for him. And so when we, I discuss this with people later on and like, Oh, Alex Mack was never coming back. No, no, you have to. It was a very, very difficult decision because one thing we find out about these football players is they're not just guys that have ratings on Madden. They're not just on your fantasy team. They're not commodities. They're, they're people. And, mm -hmm. Stuff like that, yes, there's millions of dollars on the line, but leaving uh, where you've established a home, where you have a significant other of some sort, they, they can be excruciating. And I got to see that process firsthand, and I eventually reported on it afterwards of what everything entailed. And it was just a true joy to me to be completely intertwined with the step-by-step -step that included a major NFL free agent. That's amazing, mate. That's a great story. Yeah, it must be surreal to be in the middle of that from sort of a half wanting to put the fan hat on and go, let's sign him up, 10-year contract, a million a year, and have like one of the best centres in the NFL versus like the real world of like, when I moan about a player getting a contract, it's not like, it's not the player I'm moaning at because I want them to get all the money they can. Uh, yeah, they're going through hell to do it physically. Um, it's the, why do you give it to them? It's fascinating watching the balance of, some people get too caught, caught up on the, that player shouldn't be taking that money. It's like, well, if someone offers to pay you £10 million and you might not be worth it, it's not your fault. <laughs> no. And, and you know what? Um, the cat and mouse that goes along with it is, is, is a really intriguing part of the process because you know the negotiations ongoing at all times. And each of the sides are trying to build towards something that they believe is in their best interest. Because we can't deny that the NFL as a whole is an owner's 
driven league and the players are at a uh, disadvantage. Now they are still paid handsomely. I'm not going to deny that. And I'm not going to uh, have anyone come screaming at us afterwards that I think that NFL players are underpaid because that's not the case. Um, but it is something where you sit in, in that scenario and you see discussions ongoing of when they should meet or what they should do or who on whose terms and, 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 and things along those lines where it just, it really provides a different perspective of everything that's ongoing and not just because, not just of, of the players themselves, but their supporting cast, you know, you have agents and financial advisors and you have those that believe that they, that they're putting the individual's best interests in front of them. And I've sat down, for example, with uh, with financial advisors, and, and we've heard this number before publicly. Uh, but we were having, I was having breakfast with one one day down in Mobile, and he goes, "I tell them all the time where to invest their money. These players, he goes, and what is 80% of them are going to be broke within five years of retiring from the league. He goes, then they come to me again, and I tell them at that point, I can't help you. You didn't listen to me when I tried to help you. So now." I have nothing to invest for you. And that's a sad reality of what we see in professional sports, not just stuff like um, the head injuries, but just the lack of understanding that some of these individuals have of just basic finances, at, at, even when you're making that much money, that it's, it's hard to make that adjustment overall. Well, hopefully they've all listened to Carl Nassib because uh, the message went out loud and clear. Maybe not invest with his numbers because that sounded like that might be tied up with Michael Kendrick's sort bloke but uh, there's definitely uh, the message probably getting through a bit louder each year now but we'll find out well the NFL's done a wonderful job building programs um, starting with the rookie symposium and, and, and into individual teams on through player relations on how they can invest their money wisely but I mean let's face it gents I mean I, I remember when I was in my early early mid-20s I wasn't the most financially conservative person at the time, and I didn't have any money. <laughs> so, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's about maturation as much as it is helping uh, these men through that process because it's, it's a very difficult, and it's hard when you grow up when a lot of these men didn't have or come from affluent families. So it's an eye-opening experience that I do believe the NFL has done much better preparing them for long term. Moving on, Jack's got the stopwatch looking at me saying, hurry up. Um, no, we're good. We're good. Yeah. As, long as, as long as we don't run into my family coming home, because then my kids will uh, domineer the, the entire sounding conversation. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, which player in the Browns organization would you most want to go for a drink with at the moment? See, this is a trick question to me, because the, the obvious answer is Joe Thomas, although technically he's no longer part of the organization. I would love to sit down with Joe. I believe he's the best left tackle to ever play the game. I would want to just, just discuss. I would love to write a book about Joe Thomas, to be 100% frank with you, because when I look at what he accomplished with so little around him through such dire circumstances, again, it's all relative to professional sports and real life. But it's amazing to me that someone that was that good for so long never even had the opportunity to taste the postseason. Yeah. And I think it's unfair to him, and some people might see that otherwise. But I, I always said the day he retired is when Browns fans will realize how good he really was. 
and how dominant he truly is. And I saw, I saw a great line or read a great line recently. And I, and I apologize because I can't name the author at the moment, but I want to use this quote anyways. Offensive linemen speak of Joe Thomas like guitarists speak of Jimi Hendrix mm. because his ability and his technique and how, how it's almost impossible to duplicate what he was able to do and to sit down and just discuss the nuances of offensive line play, furthermore, the circumstances with all the head coaches and, and quarterbacks, to me, that'd be an absolute joy, whether it was in a professional or a personal setting. So as a self-described beer snob, would you want to share a 73 Kolsch, is it, the Joe Thomas beer with him, or would you be telling him, throw that away, we've got to have something else? So funny story, uh, I was at Great Lakes Brewing the day that released. Since I, I, I am such a fan of, of Joe Thomas's game, I did drive up for that just to – just to experience it and, and, and be part of, you know, the event. And um, I did buy a couple cases. <laughs> um, it, it's actually, for those beer drinkers out there, it's not a typical Kolsch. That's usually real refreshing and light. And uh, you get a little bit of the, uh, the, the, not the floral notes, but you get a little bit of the, the fruit, the fruit taste in it. His is far more, uh, has for malty. It's a little more maltier than, than a, tri- a typical Kolsch. But, yes, I did go drive up and buy some, simply because I am much of a beer snob. <laughs> and uh, Jack, when I was in Cleveland, I did have a, a pint of his uh, uh, Kolsch. It was, it was quite nice, actually. A lot better than I expected. Yeah? Yeah. Well, hey, if you love, if you love Cleveland Great Lakes beer, it's, it, the, the Christmas ale comes out this week. All right. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. <laughs> No, that's that. It, it, honestly, that's a huge thing in Northeast Ohio because it's considered one of the best uh, Christmas ales in the country. So, um, when I was up there this past weekend, uh, the first pour is the 25th, which is what two days away. Yeah. Okay. So, are you going to be like outside the pub at 11 o'clock in the morning with your pint ready to have a have a have a glass? I, I wish, honestly, I, I really would. I, I I seriously drive out of my way a couple hours just to get a good beer. I do. Um, it's what, I mean, other than me being, you know, a fat guy that loves food and junk food, uh, beer is, you know, one of my vices. I don't smoke and I don't do anything like that, but good beer now, whew, I will definitely find a way to grab it when, it, if and when I can. Is there any beers in uh, England that you like or? Uh, you know what, Here, not necessarily England and, and I'm not trying to rip on you guys or anything like that, but, uh, yeah. I turn, <laughs> we're open to a, a this is a big deal for me because i'm i turned 38 here next week okay and i've always dreamt of going to the united kingdom uh kind of as my dream vacation right so my wife has promised me when i turn 40 uh so two years i will be in the united kingdom enjoying pints all over (laughs) because that's always what i want to do i want i want to have that experience and maybe this is me romanticizing um, your culture is being able to walk into a pub, get a pint and I don't know, sing some of the songs you guys sing when you're in there. If that's, you know, maybe again, maybe that's just the movies here in the United States, but that's what always what I wanted to do. Enjoy. I think, I think if you come out of uh, yeah, football games, we'll sing along to songs. So that's quite a good experience. Soccer. Sorry. 
soccer games is quite a good experience. Well, it could be rugby. I did play rugby for a short, part, a short amount of time in my lifetime too, and there was definitely some songs I could sing you guys. But yeah, probably not appropriate <laughs> for. <laughs> okay, but in your eyes, there's no beers that that you get in the states in the, the in the UK that are worth well, having. I've had numerous, you know, beers um, from the United Kingdom. I'm just, I, I'm more if, if if I'm asking if you're asking about European style beers, I, I enjoy the the Belgian quads a lot more than I would. Uh, your typical bitters that are coming out of you know England and Ireland and the stouts from Ireland. Just my just my palate and my and my taste selection. Well, I've got another crazy idea. You know, you're gonna wait till you until you're forty to come over with your wife. Why don't you just put like a two day impact trip to England? Leave your wife at home. Come over. We actually we get absolutely slaughtered for a couple of days and then fly back. How about that? <laughs> My problem is I might not make it back, and if I do, I might not be uh, permitted to come back into my house. <laughs> All right, great. Um, last question for me. Um, what body part are you willing to give up for the Browns to win the Super Bowl? Wow. Oh. See, that's hard because I've, I've reached a state of apathy a long time ago. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've seen my friends – um, get to enjoy a championship and what it what it means to them. You know, where I live in Ohio, it's it's, it's it used to be split pretty well down the middle between Browns fans and Steelers fans. Uh, not so much anymore, but it used to be. And so a lot of those, a lot of guys I grew up with are Steelers fans, and I've seen just the the joy that when they when they, when they've won championships. And I would love to experience that. I mean, I was in Cleveland when. Um, for the parade for the Cavs, and that was such a cool, cool experience overall. And it was just, but you know what happened when uh, when you're at that parade? Do you know what you heard constantly? Go on. People would no people <laughs> people would say would state, "Now this is great, but just imagine if the Browns won. This town will burn to the ground." And you know, if I answer your question, I, I, I don't know. Let me go off off the beaten path and say I'll give up a testy to see the Browns win. Yeah, I, mean, I, already, I already have three kids. I don't kind of need them anymore, so I can get rid of one of those. You're more or less there with the whole body. If we win a Super Bowl, you've been promised more or less every body part going. You've had a brain. You've had a heart. Do they have any lungs or kidneys yet? Lungs and kidneys are no. next on the list. We well, don't want my kidneys because obviously I use them to the fullest extent. <laughs> well, <laughs> never say well, Brett, I want a world exclusive. Would it be your left or your right <laughs> testicle? Let's go left. Why not? All right. And like I said to everyone, when I listen, when we win the Super Bowl, I'm going to go back to these tapes <laughs> and listen to it. And then, yeah, there's going to be a few ugly people walking around. I know that. See, that's why I picked an internal organ yeah. and one that I don't have to use because I have children. So I'm good. Yeah. And guys, what's the chance of us winning the Super Bowl this year? This year? Yeah. No. Nah. Uh, we'll win one in Baker's first five years. I can uh, I can see that actually occurring if you continue to build a roster the way John Dorsey has started. But you, and I know this is supposed to be a Hugh Jackson show. Very but, good. Uh, very good. I like this. But <laughs> it, the, it it is a poisonous situation within that within that organization, and he's he is at the head of those issues and. If he makes it out of this regular season, I'll be absolutely stunned. It's a 50% huge action show, and the 50% line is right there between me and Paul. <laughs> what, what's problematic is, Jack, 
what, what was problematic to me is, and it's not necessarily that, I mean, we can point to multiple instances where mistakes are made in game and that, and that happens, right? And, and you can look at the losing record and put it up with anyone that's ever coached in the NFL and it's awful. I mean, it's literally the second worst of all time for anyone that's coached more than 40 games. I mean, you guys can even name the other coach that has the worst winning percentage is Burt Bell from 1939 to 1940. Steelers, Steelers, yeah, Steelers and Eagles. And so that puts into context how awful this stretch has been. With that said, you could you could stomach all that if Jackson was at least personable. You know, if he was a Gus Bradley or even a Romeo Cornell, guys who have great respect around the league. And I'm not trying to belittle Jackson's history as a coach. But as a head coach, we have seen internal strife for over a year now. It started last year with his inability not to throw players under the bus. Jason McCourty comes out publicly and rails against it. Then he's no longer part of the organization. Now you, you, you transport a year ahead of time. And you've reached a situation where it's grown a little venomous between your head coach and your offensive coordinator. And, and, and we knew going into this situation that the, you had three really strong personalities with your head coach, your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator. And if everything didn't go smoothly, you're basically hitting the nuclear button. <laughs> and, and the fallout's going to be there for John Dorsey to pick everything up and hopefully build an organizational approach that has a top-down philosophy and where everyone's on the same page. Because that hasn't existed since Jimmy Haslam's been the owner. Mm. Well, I want to get into the main content now. Well, it's, it's only a week away now, and we've sort of seen the move starting. So, hopefully, by the time when we actually drop this podcast tomorrow, there hasn't been 101 trades, and these things sound like stupid. Only one today so far. Only one today. Eli Apple to the Saints. What was it? They got a, a fourth or a fifth for him? Fourth, 2019 fourth, and a 2027. Okay, quick fire round. Would you have gone with that? I would have loved to see him at the Browns for that. I, you know what, I, I'm not saying he's Eric Flowers, but he hasn't been exactly living up to expectations at this point either, and there's always the concerns about his maturity levels. So if you're going to make a bold move, if it's Cleveland, and I know we're going to get into this stuff, but if you're going to make a bold move, a cornerback, go big or go home because the best one's on the market. Well, so, sorry, would you go for it, yes or no? For Patrick Peterson? No, for um, Eli Apple. Eli Apple. Uh, for Eli Apple, no, I wouldn't have made that deal. Okay. No. I'll jump ahead and I say if it's Patrick Peterson, if it's anything less than a first rounder, you do it and you don't look back <laughs> because yes, he's expensive, but you have him under contract for two more years beyond this season. He's only 28 years old. Okay. Uh, I've I've said if it was sort of a second and a third or something, I'd love to get that deal done. I think it's going to take a lot more than that, and that's my fear. It really depends on where Arizona's at. And, and that's the question, Mark. You know, I, I wrote a piece uh, about Amari Cooper before the actual trade occurred about potential landing spots and compensation. And a lot of people kind of were aghast when I kept linking first-round picks to Amari Cooper. And it wasn't because I felt he was worth the first-round pick, but I knew the Oakland Raiders organization wanted maximum return. You're not just going to dump a 24-year-old or 24-year-old wide receiver – um, that you already invested a fourth overall pick into at 2,000-yard years and then take a fourth or fifth round pick in return. You, you, want maximum, you want to maximize your draft assets. So 
it really is where Arizona stands. And I don't have that answer at the moment. Of course, Peterson's going to demand uh, a certain amount of compensation just because he is such a high-level player. Mm. But this is a team also that's hired or fired their offensive coordinator in the past week. Uh, they're looking to trade not only Peterson, but potentially Larry Fitzgerald, Hassan Reddick, last year's first-round pick, um, Dayon Buchanan, another former first-round pick. So if Steve Kahn's willing to just tear it to the ground, they'll probably take less. But it comes down to where they value Peterson long-term. That's an interesting one. I think Peterson's sort of the right age, and it's something with the Dorsey moves earlier on in the season I liked. They were sort of in that – 26 to 28 range of they're not past it because I feared when Dorsey came in we were going to see loads of additions in sort of the 30 year old plus range of free agents coming in and players that you'll win games now but in two years time when Baker's ready to be picking up that ring or something they're all finished so uh, 28 sort of the the right line of go out there and you can get a good four years out still of Patrick Peterson so I'd make that move. The other cornerback was floated around. Gary on Conley. Obviously got a history of playing with Ward. Would you for sort of a fourth or fifth round pick if that's what they're willing to dump him for? I, I got a feeling the way they're operating now that that would probably be a little uh, little low. And simply because, I mean, again, this is a first round pick from last year. And yes, they've been disappointed. But Conley, he hasn't played awful. He's just given up a few big plays, which makes it look awful. And, and then they bench him. But the problem is no one in the world knows what the hell John Gruden's doing or what he wants to do. I mean, I know that's me cropping out to a degree, but it's simply based on uh, that that approach is, is to a point where you've already moved Amari Cooper. You've already gave up on Khalil Mack based on ego to a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you going to do a quarterback with Derek Carr? And are you going to get rid of guys like Conley and Carl Joseph? And he's, he's already come up publicly and stated, we're not going to trade anybody not after this point. Well, guess what? He said he wasn't going to trade Mark Cooper either, and then the deal got done. It all depends on what you're willing to pay, and that's really where the Raiders are as an organization. Can you give them the type of return that's, that's even worth them listening to? So is there any names out there of – people that are sort of floating around the trade market you'd like to see join the Browns? I would start with Peterson, a cornerback. Um, you know, I, one of the things, in the, and this isn't necessarily uh, the trade market right off the bat, um, but Richard Matthews signed today with the Jets. All the way through, as soon as he got released, and there was just even the rumors he was unhappy and I came on the podcast, I was like, just, just come again. Yeah, what bothers me about it is this. It's, I mean, you can look at all, your, all the alternatives, and then Cooper is a great example of this. When you look beyond just what's available and, and go into next offseason, the wide receiver draft class is not highly regarded, at least with top-end prospects, especially mm-hmm. after DK Metcalf from Ole Miss uh, suffered a neck injury. Then the free agent class is very poor. I mean <laughs> – you don't have any of those top guys hitting the market to where you can say we're going to we're going to go after him hard and he's going to be the answer to and to be the solution to our problems. So now you have to start going around the league and see what maybe you can get on the cheap. 
Devontae Parker would be a name that you would consider. But with Parker, first of all, his agent's trying to get him out of Miami, and that's obvious for anyone that's been following this situation. But they also are down two wide receivers. They're two starting wide receivers, which makes it far more difficult to make a move before uh, the trade deadline. So if you're trying to find those type of guys, uh, maybe you, you call Kansas City about a Chris Conley or Demarcus Robinson, guys that uh, John Dorsey drafted to really fit. I know the Bills have floated Kelvin Benjamin out there. No one wants him, <laughs> just to be blatantly honest. Um, so I don't think there's a lot of heavy options. To me, you might want to continue to peruse free agency, whether it be a Terrell Pryor or Des Bryant, revisit those. And then if you're going to make a bigger move, go for some, go hard after Peterson or maybe fit someone like a Hassan Reddick who would fit your system. Uh, that could be that type of not just linebacker where there's suspect depth at the moment, but can also be an edge rusher. Yeah, it's just with sort of the um, wide receivers, unless you're the insane 2014 class, don't expect too much for the first two years. And that's sort okay. of the tough thing of like Callaway came in and, he, he, there were some fantastic plays in preseason and people got excited and I was like just pretend he's not there for two years and let's see what happens and uh, I was sat there sweating it going at the start of the season if Callaway and Gordon go to a party one night get on the weed and then Corey Coleman breaks his hand we're left with Landry and nothing and yeah. it didn't quite work out that way but the end result is there oh, yeah. I mean, the other alternative, you, you can look at other teams that have depth at wide receiver, but they're all going to be aging with gigantic contracts. So you're looking at teams like Denver. I think Emmanuel Sanders would be a very good move, who obviously has at least a prior history with Todd Haley for one year in Pittsburgh. Um, then you, all, you would have him, his ability, but he's not a true X receiver. You're going to be overlapping to a degree with what Jarvis Landry does, but he's only 30 years old. He's under contract for two years for less money than Demarius Demarius Thomas would be from the same Denver's roster. And so who's a little bit older, who costs a little bit more, but he's a bigger target. You know, these those are your options. And unless, like, for example, Detroit is willing to give up on a golden tape because he's a free agent after the year, where are you getting that quality where it's not just about the last few months of this season, but also can contribute long-term. And that, and that's where you're kind of stuck in a catch 22 with addressing the, the wide receiver position. So that's sort of coming in. What about going out? Sort of, is there anyone on the cards? Tyrod Taylor is sort of, I think only if a team were going to go ahead and start him now, I think they're going to jump on him, which unless there's going to be an injury in next week, probably not going to happen, but is there any names you see as potentially outgoing? Jamie Collins would have jumped to the forefront, and there's no question about it because you're looking at someone who the likelihood of him being with the organization beyond this season is next to nothing. Um, I mean, you release him, you save over $9 million mm-hmm. in salary cap space, and he's not playing to the level of what his contract currently demands. Furthermore, you can open up a space for you know, uh, Gennard Avery to really step up as a starter long term. Um, that he's going to be difficult simply because of contract and we know the reputation he's built over the years. He still can be a good player that can, can change games. And he played well this past weekend, but it's too far. It's too inconsistent. And it's a lot of things that dogged him coming out of new England originally about freelancing and not giving full effort. So when he's on his game, he's still very, very good. And if someone sees that potential and feels like they can maximize it, even with his salary demands, that would be someone that Cleveland would 
jump at the opportunity to move if they can get something in return. Yeah, what do you think that something would be for Collins? I would say a mid to late round pick. I mean, I'm not looking at anything spectacular for him simply because they want to dump that contract. It's much like Carlos side. I mean, you have you have arguably better alternatives behind him and the opportunity to gain any type of draft asset plus saving some money going into the 2019 salary cap is enough uh, motivation for them to move him if it's available. So, so the one name coming up in free agency, I'm not a massive fan of the move, but it's been floated to old prior coming back. Um, is there any hope to that? Or, or it's be, it, it, it's, it has been discussed, let's put it that way. And I'll give credit to my colleague Lane Atkins, who works for the Orange and Brown Report. He's already reported on the site that there has been at least internal discussions. Mm-hmm. And there should be. Um, I know prior hasn't developed the way people expected um, when he came out on the market and the Browns chose to uh, <clears throat> sign Kenny Britt uh, <laughs> after Breyer had a thousand yard season, but he has, he's, hasn't meshed well. He's, he's, he's an abrasive personality. Um, it's just, the, his, it's just the way he is. And if you're bringing him into that locker room, that's a question mark, but there's no doubt in my mind that just from a skill set perspective, he helps what you need you need size you need athleticism you need speed and while he doesn't obviously solve the drops issues at least you bring another option within the offense so if you can get him for the right price due to his familiarity with Hugh Jackson and Al Saunders um, and he's willing to swallow his pride a little bit that, that to me that's maybe the best alternative to what you have at the moment considering the lack of options that are generally available. Yeah, it, it sort of happens within every team, I'm sure, but it's always funny when you hear sort of the, the reports come out of the Browns internally that they discussed X, Y, or Z. So they discussed like taking two quarterbacks first and fourth in the draft, and it was like the whole the whole world went into meltdown over it. And it was like, well, if I'm paying someone that much money and we're literally changing the fate of the franchise, they don't have to seriously go, we might do this, but I'd like them to have the discussion. And there just sort of seems to be some sort of weird mentality amongst fans that they hear it's been discussed and uh, think that they were 10 seconds away from pushing the red button. Yeah, well, yeah, not, exa- not exactly an A.J. McCarron situation, right? <laughs> when you look at it, um, this is what something the general public doesn't understand. They, NFL goes through every – every team goes through every possible scenario available to them. And it's not necessarily they're serious about them, but they want to know just in case – X, Y, and Z happen, how do we react? And that's just due diligence. And, and, and we hear so many reports that don't come to fruition. And I feel bad when a reporter, um, you know, reports something and it doesn't come, to come out to be true because they just get lambasted. And we see it all the time on social media. But the fact of the matter is things change so quickly in the NFL. It's literally a minute-by-minute minute league when it comes to how quickly things occur that when you report it, you're technically correct and your source was, was viable, but things change, <laughs> you know, and, and a team gets cold feet, another team isn't quite happy, or the general manager decides, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite comfortable with that. So that's what you deal with and why some of these deals, and like a McCarran, get nicked, even though they were well on their way down the road, and, and then we never see it come to fruition. In Cleveland's case, thankfully, that didn't come to fruition. Yeah, I think um, it's a big difference between um, American football and soccer. 
is that we have lots of rumours in soccer that never really happen. But yeah. As soon as a rumour gets a bit of wind in the NFL, it seems to happen. Most of the time, you know, because uh, a, a lot of these general managers are very secretive. They're, they're very insular with how they try to get the information out there. And they, they're very adept at um, manipulating the media in general. And I'm not, I, I'm not ragging on any, any, any reporter or anything along those lines because they're just reporting what they're told. And, but it's, it's a game that's very prevalent in the NFL when it comes to putting out disinformation to benefit your team. And yes, you have to wade through it from, if you're someone from my side of the side of the aisle, but it comes down to um, if there's something out there and you don't report it and it happens, you're worse off than if you put something out there that doesn't happen and, and, <laughs> and, and, and uh, fell behind everybody else. So that's, that's the game that's played on a consistent basis. So fans love to talk about this stuff, and there's a lot out there to chew on. But you have to take it with a grain of salt in most instances until it gets to a point, as you well stated, where you start seeing more and more smoke, and it ultimately becomes fire. Oh, excellent. Good piece, guys, that on the uh, target, the trade targets. Um, uh, uh, two last questions. How many, how many wins do you think the Browns get now for the rest of the season? Well, I, I uh, predicted them around six this year. I thought a, a really good year would be seven to eight. Five or six was basically your, your expectation. Anything below that would be disappointing. So I'm going to stay around five or six just because I, the talent is there. I think the team could get a, one of those natural bumps you would see if there's a, a change of any sort within the coaching staff. Um, I mean, look, just look at Tampa Bay last week. They fired their defensive coordinator, and then they had their best defensive effort of the year against Cleveland. I mean, the Browns couldn't move the ball in the first half, and that was the 31st-ranked defense going into that contest. So I, I think that could come into play. As long as you start maximizing the talent that's available to you, that's been such a downfall during the Hugh Jackson era, era excuse me, um, that you can, you can really be more competitive on a week-by-week basis. Yeah. And my last question is, we like something a bit crazy and a bit silly. What's your very, very hot take for the Browns this season? Just to sort of benchmark it for stuff. We've had stuff like um, Greg Williams and Haley. One of them will punch each other on the sideline at some point this season. That's a good one. My one was, was it Des Bryant to score a left-handed quarterback throw? A left-handed touchdown from Des Bryant. We've had it all. (laughs) I would say at some point Baker Mayfield grabs his crotch when he's upset with what happens and it might not necessarily be aimed towards the other team. (laughs) (laughs) I I love the young man's personality. I really do. And I think uh, he was so unfairly miscast as Johnny Manziel Redux that it was just completely lazy for anyone that looked beyond who he was as an individual and as a player. But he's passionate, and he's, there's something that's going to come up at some point this year where we're going to be talking about how he reacted. It may not be what happened against Kansas last year, as I was you know, joking about, but I, I do believe that there, there will be some type of implosion this season because he's going to get frustrated. And we've seen, so we're starting to see it already at the end of Tampa Bay when he became meme-worthy. Uh, <laughs> you see that look on his face, and he's not used to it. 
And may, maybe it ends up being like a Jarvis Landry like outburst, which we all saw in Hard Knocks, but something's coming. And it's easy to say that, well, the head coach is going to get fired and the team will get better. No, that's, that's not fun. But the quarterback going nuts on the team, that's something I, I would like to see because it would be completely different than the previous 29 quarterbacks that started in, in, in his stead. Nice. Uh... Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'd love to just see him explode on someone. Um, I, would, I don't even care who it was, just to get going. Uh, because when he's like in two-minute drills, when he gets pumped, the whole thing just moves. Um, so, no, really can't wait to see it. But thank you so much for joining us. Um, been really, really good fun and really interesting conversation. Where can people find you? What's your Twitter handle? Obviously, Bleacher Report is where you write. Well, yeah, you can always check out my work at Bleacher Report. Um... I put on multiple columns each week uh, covering Monday Night Football. We do predictions. And, and by the way, now that here in the United States that we have legal gambling for sports, this is the first year I've ever had to make predictions against the spread, and it is difficult. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. So I, I'm still adjusting, so don't hold that against me. Uh, if you want to follow me on, on social media, I'm, I'm always on Twitter, at Brent Sobleski. It's just my name spelled out all in one word. Um, I, I like to rile people up a little bit, especially Browns fans. Uh, I poke the bear, as you gentlemen well know. But it's all in good fun, and I do love discussing football. So if you've got questions, anything along those lines, I'm, I'm, I'm usually trying to be as receptive as possible along the way. Good, good. Are you out in Cleveland at all for any games the rest of the season? No, I don't have them this year, um, unfortunately. Uh, I think the, the shine is starting to wear off a little bit from a national perspective, and I'm not trying to be mean. It's just one of those situations where Baker Mayfield does sell, and I'm not going to argue that, but the rest of the team right now is a, a bit in a hole, and they need to turn it around to really get people to notice once again. The Jets game started it. They need to find a way to finish it, and that's been a problem for far too long. How, how about this one? We beat the Chiefs, and the world goes mental. That, oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. If, if they're – Seriously, if, if there was a game, and like, if you guys, I don't know how big of a college football fans you're, or if you follow it at all, but the game where Baker Mayfield played Patrick Mahomes, Oklahoma versus Texas Tech is one of the best games you'll ever see. And if we can get something even close, close, the NFL world will go bonkers. But well, wasn't it something like 57 66? It was something insane. Yeah, yeah Mahomes, Mahomes threw for 700 yards and had seven touchdown passes. Or seven total touchdowns, and Baker had 500 yards pass, over 500 yards passing, and, and and multiple touchdowns as well. So, I know a lot of people don't like college football. The Big 12 doesn't play defense, yada yada yada. But that's the way the game's trending, and and there are so many fans that love that wide open style. And I do believe, looking at the league as it's currently constructed with Mahomes and Mayfield, that those should be the best two quarterbacks long term in the league. Yeah, no, it is funny from a perspective where you hear people go, oh, you can't play the air raid offense. <coughs> Defenses aren't like the Big 12 and the Chiefs are a great team. It's like, well, the three of them just can't go together if you're going to seriously believe that because they've proved it. It's been insane. You're absolutely right. And if you look at it right now, three of the most exciting young quarterbacks in the NFL all came from that air raid variant. You're, you mentioned Mahomes. We're talking about Baker, but don't forget Jared Goff did as well. And those are the guys you would build your franchise around. And, and that's what – that's why it's so, – what's special about this season to me from looking from a, a, an overarching perspective is you're seeing the NFL finally adapting, finally starting to bring in collegiate talent 
and not forcing them to play the way they expect them to play football. But instead, that one-time trickle-down effect we would get from professional football down through college and high school is now going the opposite direction. It's, it's trickling its way up, and it's making it very fun overall to watch as from a fan perspective, covering it professionally. And I believe anyone, maybe even, it's, unless you're on defense, playing as well. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, buddy. Uh, we look forward to meeting you in England one day. Or two years okay. time. Well, I'm trying to get in here a bit earlier, to be honest. So, uh, but no, um, we look forward to meeting you. At worst, 2020. That's at worst. Yeah, okay. It's not long, it's not long at all, actually, is it? No. So you could actually be over here for the um, Euros. The finals are in uh, Wembley, in the semi finals at Wembley. You could even go and uh, see a soccer match. Now you're speaking a different language. I have no idea what you're talking about. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> We'll get someone else to translate it later on. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, there's beer, beer, beer. Hopefully you understand that. Bingo, that's what I got. All right, excellent. It's been a pleasure, it's been a blast. Thank you very much. And I, yeah, one day I look forward to meeting you in the flesh. Appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. much. Have a good one. Take care. There's change coming, there's change coming.